Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. James Baldwin. Greetings, Barrier Breakers. Join me each week on the Road to Equity, where we discover and explore human interaction and connection. Let's identify roadblocks and barriers, implement solutions and strategies to inspire results. It is an eye on equity as we navigate life filled with detours and pit stops meant to challenge us and show us a piece of who we are. I firmly believe that through shared experiences, lessons, and laughter, we can begin to change the world. So if you will, join me and buckle up for courageous conversations and insights to help change the narrative and close the gap on the road to equity. All right, my name is Jennifer Lee. I am a native Texan. I grew up in Northeast Texas and moved to Waco when I went, started going to Baylor. And when I was at Baylor, I actually um, was going to be a pediatrician and study biology and pre-med and did all the medical stuff throughout high school, did all the you know fun pre-med stuff at Baylor. And then my fourth year um, at Baylor, I decided to change my major to child development. I did not have a plan for what I would do with that major. I just knew I wanted to study children. And then um, kind of after a year of working with women and children in various ways, like through um, working at a domestic violence shelter and becoming a substitute, I realized that my calling was actually to be in the classroom with little people or what I thought would be little people. And so I had every intention of being a kindergarten and pre-K teacher. Um, my church at the time actually paid for me to go back and get my teacher certifications, all of the certifications that I got um, because they, they saw it and they believed in it. And, you know, it's interesting, it's a predominantly white church, and they said, she needs to be in the classroom. We, we need more teachers like her. And so they um, unanimously voted to, yes, give me a check, pay for all of my um, certifications, and I guess the rest is history. It's funny, I did apply, actually, to be a kindergarten teacher first, and then a high school called me. But I've been at the high school for a decade now, so it's okay. <laughs> Wow, I did not know that kindergarten was <laughs> and yeah, the elementary was your absolutely what I wanted. I love pre-K, I love kinder. That is all the subbing that I did for Waco ISD was pre-K and kinder. That was my absolute favorite, and they are still my favorite. Yeah. But it's okay. High school is also fine. Yeah. And they're not that different. <laughs> they yeah. are really not that different. Right, right. It's just they get older and we're still guiding them on what they need to do and equipping them with the skills that <laughs> that they need for their I mean, I literally had to teach a high schooler things like how to properly you know, manage blowing your nose. I've had to help them cut paper and glue things. I mean, it really is sometimes not that different. Well, that's awesome that your church saw something in you. Um, I know I've worked with you and I see you connect with students and bring the curriculum to life and make it relevant for students. And that's kind of something I want to talk to you about today. Um, 
we're discussing what it means to create another seat at the table. So we're talking about why diversity, equity, and inclusion in the classroom is so important. And so that's what I want to chat with you about three lessons that you learned as a teacher. And I know you're a teacher mentor as well in reference to making sure diversity, equity, and inclusion has a seat at the table. So what are some things that you can kind of share with listeners um, from your own experience about creating the seat at the table for students and student voices? Well, the first, I think, big lesson I learned is that there are so many students, regardless of their background, there's so many students who have never had a teacher of color. And I, it never crossed my mind that that was a thing. And, you know, being at high school and to have a student say, you are my first black teacher as a senior, I, it just, it blows my mind. I did not know that that was something that any child in America would, would actually experience is never having any, never seeing anyone of color in a teaching position. I mean, think about how many teachers children have in their lifetime and to never have one of color and make it all the way to pretty much the end of their K through 12 education. That is ridiculous. We have got to do better. Come on now. I cannot be the first one because <laughs> you, you kind of have to ease into being with Miss Lee. So we, I can't be the first one, <laughs> but you know, seeing that and then kind of usually I'll do a little check-in with those babies who just aren't sure what to expect and say, you know, so how was it <laughs> since I was the first one? How was it? And they were like, it's definitely different. Like you talk to us differently. It's just, it's different. And is different good, is different bad. It, it's cool. It's cool and it's different. And I feel like I can be myself. And that's one thing I've heard a lot over the years as kids are talking about, when I come to your class, I know that I can be exactly who I am and not feel like I have to be kind of, a, have to put on a facade or be a certain way. Like, it doesn't matter who the child is, no matter how much money they have or don't have, they feel like they can actually just be who they are. And that's something that research kind of indicates, you know, that, that you know, pans out. When you have a teacher of color, there's a lot more acceptance and safety in the classroom. You have a lot, you have a few fewer discipline problems. You have um, just kind of a better teacher-student relationship just because they feel safe. They feel like they can talk about any issues that are going on. They feel like they can kind of just let go of some of the stress and anxiety they may feel in some of their other classes. They can just be who they are. And that's exactly who they're supposed to be anyway. I don't know why we would want any other version of them than exactly who they are. Right. Just, it astounds me. I'm like, of course you can be who you are. Who else would you be? Right. And for what reason? Yeah. And it creates this safe zone. I mean, they already have so much uh, worry and stress, social pressures, um, everything happening in the world that they're having to deal with as well. You know, we're dealing with COVID-19, but it's also impacting students and their everyday life. And so to be able to come into a classroom where they don't have to, you know, wear this proverbial mask. I mean, literally they're wearing masks because they have to, but they don't they have, have to wear it. Right. Yeah. So 
they don't need another one where they're having to like mask who they are in order to learn. They should be able to just show up and feel safe enough to learn. And that barrier is gone. So absolutely. And it's funny you said that the first black teacher, I know being in the classroom too, a lot of, a lot of uh, students would always ask me like, Miss McCarty, well, that was my name, my last name back then. They'd say, what, what are you? And I, I would say, black. And then they'd say, what, well, like, are you mixed with anything? I said, black and black. <laughs> black. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> as if I couldn't be just a full black teacher, like they were so astonished that they had a black teacher and they're like, nah, you must be like, this has to be a joke, you know, like, you're really a black teacher, you know, and so having those conversations, I understand kids get all the way through high school and they're like astonished that, wow, you know, because seeing is believing and a teacher you haven't seen, you know, and it's like, what are we, we have to set our students up for success and we want to show them they can aspire to be anything, whether it's a teacher, you know, president, whether it's a, an attorney, whatever it is. Um, pediatrician, kindergarten teacher, like you set out to be, so. Well, you know, something about that is not just seeing us as a teacher, but realizing that it may not be the first time they've seen a person of color in a school, but it may be as a custodian or school nutrition worker and kind of, peg, you know, pigeonholing us as that's all they can be when we're at, when we're at school. That's all I'm ever going to see them as at school. And so having that shift of, oh, wait, you know, they can be pretty much anything they want to be. There's more options than just those two. So realizing that, yes, we can have whole professional positions. We can work in a variety of settings. We, we are pretty diverse in what we can do. So realizing that your first interaction isn't the only thing that a person like that can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, it's just exposure for um, students who are not of color, who that may be their first black teacher as well. And looking at it from their perspective, like how do you connect with other people? You're going to be working in places where you're going to meet people with different backgrounds. And so understanding, you know, different cultures, uh, and that teacher could serve as the first way for them to connect because maybe their parents haven't exposed them to diversity. You know, I do have one sad little story thinking about that. I had a senior one year who um, I was the first black teacher he ever had. And we, he was just, I think I had in my, either my first or my second year teaching and he and his little pack of friends drove me absolutely crazy. Um, they were just so silly and yeah, they were crazy. Um, but they were definitely like respectful and kind and they did their work and, you know, were high achieving. They just were very, very mischievous children. And we, and I, I came to adore them towards the end of the year. And, you know, it was a great experience. And I've seen multiple of them, you know, since they've graduated and started their own families. And, you know, it's super sweet. But I remember graduation was coming up and I was excited because I always love graduation. And one of them kind of took, pulled me off to the side and he's like, you know, I know that, you know, every day I come in and you give me a hug and it's super cool and all that, but you can't do that at graduation. And I was like, why? 
And he said, because my family has some different views and they may not appreciate it. And I said, what do you mean? How, how different are we talking? And he showed me and they were involved with the Klan. Like his family was active with the Klan and he had pictures to show me that they were active. And he said, so it might be a little bit of a problem for me and most likely for you if you know we were to talk or like be seen um, at graduation. He's like, so can I like give you my hug now? I cried for so long. Mm. I mean, yes, I gave him a hug. And when we were backstage and you know the crowds couldn't see us, he like walked up and he kind of waved and he was looking around, he was nervous, but he just kind of waved. And I'm like, this is so ridiculous. You have been raised to believe it's not okay to give me a hug in public. Come on now. Wow. How can you, how, how are we still at this point? That right. is so ridiculous. Right. But I'm glad he was exposed to seeing that probably some of the stereotypes or things he's heard at home were broken down in your class. Um, you know, but I, man, just to be where we are, you would think that you're telling this story and it was 1956. Exactly. Yeah. But no, we're in the 2000s. Come on, man. Come right. on. Wow. Yeah. So what are some other kind of ways that you think why it's so important to create this seat at the table? Well, you know, over the years, I've realized there's kind of, it's all about the approach that we take with students who maybe look a little different than, you know, the average teacher in America. Um, you know, every, there's that TED talk by Rita Pearson where she's talking about, you know, every child needs a champion. Um, but sometimes it's how we approach them and how we talk to them and how we kind of bring them in. And I'm thinking of a young man that I had one time who um, he was always, you know, very full of life and very full of just, you know, happiness. Like you knew when he walked into a room, like the party got started basically. And he came in one day and he just, he, he you could feel like rage and anger radiating off of him and at first, I was just kind of going to have one of those moments where I'll just let you make it. But then I, I, I had just something, I guess, in my spirit said, no, we, we need to talk about this. And so I walked over to him and, you know, he's a young Black man. And usually when young Black men have that much rage radiating off of them, people automatically feel uncomfortable and feel unsafe. But, you know, I guess the mom in me or, you know, the teacher in me just said, somebody hurt this baby and I want to find out who it was and why. And so I walked up and I was like, okay, what's, what's going on? Why? Because I feel you from across the room. That energy is not, not what we need right now. What's going on? And he explained this exchange he had with um, the teacher right before me, who was a white male. And he, the boy had been sitting in class he had been quiet, but he still had that same very angry sort of energy. And that teacher said, you know, you're making me uncomfortable. I'm going to send you to the AP office. 
he didn't ask him what was going on, didn't ask him any questions. He said, can you stop what you're doing? Because the boy, I think, was like tapping his leg or something because he was so agitated. And you could tell, I mean, he's not happy. He's agitated. And so rather than have a conversation, the white teacher was just going to send him to the AP office. You know, I feel like you're a threat. I feel like you might do something to meet myself or the class. I'm not comfortable. So I need you to go to the AP office. And the young man said, you know, I'm literally just sitting here. I'm, I'm just sitting here and I'm trying to just do my work. I'm not happy, but I'm, I'm just sitting here. I haven't done anything to anybody. I haven't said anything to anybody. And he said, I don't feel, and the teacher said, I don't feel safe here. I don't feel comfortable. In my mind, I'm thinking, I can see, I see how the boy is sitting in my class right now. If that's how he was sitting in that classroom, I don't care if you're uncomfortable. He's not doing anything. He's just agitated. And so I, um, the, the young man said, well, can I at least just walk around the hall and cool off for a minute? Before we get the APs involved and all of that, can I at least just have a minute to go to the bathroom and you know, try to calm myself down because somehow it's this child's job to manage this adult's feelings. And so he got up and he said he went to the restroom and he walked around the hall and he you know, tried to get it together. And then he came back to the class and he just kind of sat and was quiet. And um, somebody, one of, the, one of his classmates whispered something to him or he checked his phone again or something like that. And he got upset again. And he told the teacher, he said, can I just, can I just go? I guess I'll just go to the AP office. I just, because you know, the feelings came back and he couldn't manage them, nor should he have had to. And the teacher said, yeah, good, you need to get out of here because I don't feel safe. And so the child, I guess, went to the AP office and kind of talked to them a little bit and just explained the situation. The teacher had already tried to send a referral to them. Thankfully, they just said, you know what, how about you just go to your next class? You know, we're, we're towards the end of the day. Maybe we can just make it the rest of the day. Let's try to make it, shall we? rather than deal with the whole referral process and all that, because again, the teacher never asked what was going on. They just jumped straight to referral. So that's when this baby comes in my class, still very highly upset. I asked him what's going on. He, it turns out he just found out via like somebody sending him a link to a news article that his father had been sentenced to 20 years in prison. Ooh. So he was not going to come home that weekend as that young man anticipated and had been holding on for he he won't see his dad again for several years and so he was freaking out because he was his dad had kind of left him in the house granted the young man was 18 i think at the time he had been left at the house his dad thought he had left enough stuff for him to make it until he got back but they both thought it would be sooner rather than later and so he was freaking out because he's like i don't know how where i'm going to live i don't know i don't know what's going on Nobody told me that was a possibility. Nobody told me anything. And so he was understandably upset as he should have been. Right. And so he starts crying in the hallway and he just melted in front of me. And I'm like, all this man had to do was ask you what was going on. Are you serious right now? Right. And so yeah, I'm holding this boy. He's crying. I'm crying. One, because I'm mad at my coworker. And two, because I'm heartbroken for this young man. And I said, okay, well, we, we got to get you connected to some services. We got, we got to come up with a plan. 
I mean, we got two more classes left before the end of the day. We got to come up with the plan and quickly. And so I sent him to the counselor, wrote a very long note explaining just in case they had that same, you know, initial reaction. I wrote a note explaining what was going on to kind of ease that approach. And they immediately got him connected to the homeless services, immediately started connecting him to the things he needed. We contacted family members to see, you know, who, who's going to watch over him at least for tonight, at least for the rest of the week. And the whole situation was immediately diffused. Like his anger left and he was just sad. He was able to kind of start moving out of the anger to grief and processing it and coming up with a plan and the vibe got a lot better. It didn't take me that much prodding to find that out. So it's all in the approach and being willing to have a conversation instead of saying, I'm uncomfortable, you have to do something about that. Right. I'm uncomfortable, but we're gonna talk about it. We can have a conversation. That's how we solve problems is through conversations, not just freaking out because, oh, this makes me uncomfortable. So it should, it should be something that's silenced. Yeah. And, and especially not adultifying our kids, you know, where we think they should know better or should know how to control or contain their emotions. Um, sometimes we don't even know how to do that as adults or regulate. So we really can't expect students who sometimes maybe need uh, a break or a breather. We all need one ourselves some days. And so I think that's important that you stated that is really being, starting a conversation and being proactive versus reactive and really checking our own selves um, because we can kind of perpetuate some of these narratives within the classroom if we aren't careful, you know, because there's no reason that we should feel threatened by a child who's just sitting in their desk, you know, uh, who hasn't stayed in anything. What vibe they give off, right. their child right. just sitting there. Right, absolutely. You know, and, and thinking of how that translates even in the real world, we've gone to places, we've all gone to places before and people have given off vibes, but we've never, you know, that's their right to. If they're upset or something has happened in their life, that's natural, that's, expected i mean especially yeah. now that you know the story it's it should be i mean he had every right to feel all of those emotions you know and we just have to realize empathy and start putting ourselves in and other people's shoes and say you know before i assume the story let me have a conversation and ask and maybe start understanding, you know, wow, I may never have experienced, you know, having to deal with that situation, but I know the, the impact that I felt, you know, similar things with other situations in my life. Yeah. Let me grant people some grace because everybody has bad days. Really, really incredibly horrible bad days. Yeah. Wow. So, and looking at that, we just kind of talked about students being able to be their authentic selves and, and they are in your classroom, right? And then the approach is so important. How are you going to handle things? You know, we both have choices every day that we make. We get to determine how we're going to move forward. You know, are we going to make a positive interaction or are we going to assume and be reactive based on our own judgment? 
um, which sometimes can lead us down a long path. And that it's so important to have a conversation, to just ask and pull, pull the student aside. And sometimes it's important. Uh, I was reading an article today um, and I posted on the Road to Equity Facebook page, but it was all about having these little, you know, couple of minutes every, every week uh, temperature checks with your students, just reinforcing and saying, hey, where are you at? What's going on? You know, uh, because we, we know that we're dealing with a lot with everything happening, but what are they dealing with that maybe we can kind of help understand or connect them to some resources? Because like you said, that student is, his mind was running probably a mile a minute, like, what do I do? How am I going to do this? What's my next step? When he just needed to express that and have an adult maybe tell him like, hey, I know right now it, this doesn't feel good, but there are resources to get you connected. Like you're not going to be homeless. Let me provide you some reassurance, you know, and validate mm -hmm. your feelings right now that it's okay to feel that way. Like be the actual adult in the situation. He's a child. He has every right to feel how he's feeling. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what would be two recommendations, strategies that you offer to close the gap to create a more welcoming and inclusive environment? What have you done, whether it's in the content or even with classroom management that you've done to close those gaps? Well, one of the um, first things I do is I'll have students write about who they are as a person. That's one of their first assignments. Tell me pretty much everything about you. Tell me something that you would love for your teachers to know, but you usually don't say it. Um, what pronouns do you like? What name do you prefer to be called? How do you imagine yourself in a few years? Because especially for those students who are maybe thinking about things like transitioning and um, just kind of changing their overall persona and all that, you know, they are kind of, they feel kind of stuck with their current body and their current life and who they are right now. But in 10 years, you know, there's that concept of real freedom because I'm out of the house, I'm old enough, I can make my own, you know, very serious decisions. So who are you going to be the same person in 10 years? And how does that person, how do we get to where you are currently in that person in 10 years? And I mean, I still discover all these students who have visions of living a completely different life than what they currently have. And they talk about, you know, growing up in a very strict and religious household and things have to be a certain way. And then when they describe the life that they actually want, it's kind of heartbreaking to think that it's like they're behind bars and they're just looking outside right now. They have to wait for you know however many years to finally get out and to be free and to be okay. And you know, listening to some of them struggle through the mental health issues associated of what amounts to solitary confinement, if we're honest. And parents being astounded that their child is struggling so much mentally, but they have no clue that there's a reason for it. You just might not want to touch on it. Have, it, it all comes back to having that, um, being willing to have the conversation as a teacher and lean into the things that make you uncomfortable 
if it makes you uncomfortable, let's, let's look at that for a second. What exactly makes you uncomfortable? What are some things that you can do as an adult to manage that situation without trying to manage who that child is and your um, and their kind of position um, where they are now? Instead of managing it, managing it so that you're more comfortable, what can you do to actually help resolve an issue for them? What can you do to make them more comfortable with being who they are? And so literally just the conversation, just being willing to be uncomfortable and understanding you might be uncomfortable a lot and you might encounter things that you've literally never thought of, you've never encountered in your entire life. A lot of people might have a grasp on a basic concept of racism, but what about when you're talking to a student who doesn't wanna be who they currently are, who wants to transition, who's having those thoughts, who's thinking about you know, really exploring their sexual orientation. If that's something you've never encountered, never really thought about, it's an opportunity for you to grow and learn something new, learn new vocabulary, ask more questions. Students love being able to teach you about something when they realize, oh, you don't know about this? Oh, let me tell you. You know, How do I be more sensitive to um, just anybody kind of in any community. How am I, how can I be more sensitive? How can I be, use the appropriate language and, you know, how can I be as least offensive as possible? And kids are more than willing to just explain that to you, or at least guide you towards, you know, your own researches and how to, um, find out more information, but you have to be willing to actually learn from them. They do know things, even kindergartners know things. So that's the big thing is be willing to learn, be willing to have a conversation, be willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I know it's uncomfortable being uncomfortable, but do it. Right. And I think you highlighted too, is you have to really allow your students to share their story. And like you do at the beginning to understand who yeah. they are, where they're coming from, where they want to be, because those are things that you can help nurture and creates this understanding of who they truly are so that you can also relate your content to, to them and they, their story yeah. starts to show up in, their, in your classroom. They don't feel this disconnected, you know, I'm just showing up and doing this work and being, you know, compliant, but I'm actually curious about this subject. You know, I see myself, you know, and how I can learn and grow. And I think another thing you touched on was how we need to lean into things that make us uncomfortable. I think 2020 set a perfect stage for that, you know, with everything happening. I think some people were already, you know, knew a lot about these gaps in technology, yeah. racism, uh, all social injustice, all these things happening, but it really kind of highlighted the gaps um, and how people are disproportionately impacted by different things. And we didn't, some people didn't know that. So I think this allowed us to really lean in. It was a year all about leaning in and becoming woke and awakened to a lot of a lot of what maybe we ignored or some people assumed or because it wasn't happening to us, we didn't want to deal with it. But now it's knocking at our door. Our students are wanting to have conversations about it. They're wanting to come into class and tell us about, did you see this on the news yesterday? Oh my gosh, this happened and it made oh, me yeah. this way. So I think well, we know, have to. 
it's funny, a lot of people assume that they are so neutral in the classroom. And I know we always talk about teachers kind of being this neutral little standard and we're just kind of above all the politics and opinions and whatnot. But kids know exactly what we believe, whether it's the secret little you know, bumper sticker that you hide on your desk somewhere or whether it's just kind of your reaction to hearing them talk about certain issues that matter to them, like social justice, or, you know, if you see a child with a Black Lives Matter shirt on and you just kind of like glare at them or you send them to the office for dress code, the things that teachers do and the kind of just our attitudes, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, they know exactly what you believe. And they usually respond accordingly. They may never say a word to you, but they understand where they stand with you and they will react accordingly. And interestingly, if you're having a lot of um, you know, discipline issues and whatnot, it might be because they know what you think of them. Mm. And if they already know you have low standards and expectations for them based on how you've already treated them, all right, I'll, I'll show you. I can show you better than I can tell you. And they may choose to act accordingly or they may just be less engaged. And if our goal is to have them engaged, then they have to know, again, it's okay to be exactly who they are and you don't hate who they are. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. Right, right, absolutely. And so what would be one challenge uh, to the listeners um, or even to the education system as a whole to be this change that we hope to see in our classrooms, especially giving um, another seat at the table focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion? You know, we have to start understanding that diversity doesn't just mean race and that equity looks so different in different situations at times. Um, I think our education system needs to step back and take a look at, you know, we're always looking to, you know, increase things like rigor and curriculum standards and always trying to look at test scores, but we're not running up to these buildings just to teach a subject. We're running up to the buildings to teach children. We're, we're teaching children, we're educating children. And we absolutely have to understand those children. We absolutely have to do more to um, just get a better understanding of the world that they're living in and be willing to understand the learner before we're so worried about test scores and curriculum because that's been our focus for so long and that's completely how we judge the education system and judge our children. And we've taught them that your worth and your value are determined by your discipline record and your report cards. And that's pretty much all you are to us. If you have a good report card, our school looks good, we all look good, everybody's happy. If you have a horrible discipline record, then it looks, it makes us look bad and we have to do something about it. But I mean, these are little people. These are human beings we're about to send out into the world. We absolutely have to be willing to see them as people, see them having unique needs, understanding that it's more than just about race, it's about who they are as a person. No one child is exactly the same. So we have to be willing to learn children, learn about them and love them exactly as they are. Yes, unconditional love. I was just having a conversation with another teacher about that is loving um, beyond um, 
loving beyond uh, just with conditions. We need unconditional love. Um, and I think he brought up a, a great point. Um, we have to look at our students as more than a number, more than the data tells us. Um, and the, it's the individual person before the content or curriculum. And I think sometimes we get those things mixed up. We're so focused on curriculum. We're like, oh, we'll, we'll get to knowing our kids. But it's like, we have to start getting to know the learners, the people who are serving, uh, their background, whether it's socioeconomic, not just race, but the languages they speak, um, how, how, who they truly are before we can start breaking down the barriers to allow them to learn the content that we're meant to teach. So we're actually learning about societal issues that impact students in the classroom and my anyway, in my um, education and training class. And I showed them the Mama Durant story. It's a Lifetime movie that came out, you know, talking about Kevin Durant's mom and being a single mom, raising two boys. And we watched it in all of my classes and had very, very different conversations. And in some classes, we needed to talk about, you know, what is it actually like to be a single parent and kind of some of the emotional struggles and whatnot. But in my um, education class in particular, we're I was talking about just something as simple as in one of the scenes from the movie, she is counting up the money that she, all the money that she got from her paycheck and from like a side job that she had. And she was trying to get rent money together and she was 50 bucks short. And she was sitting there and, you know, obviously it was very upsetting and she's just kind of thinking, okay, I'm, this is just gonna have to do, this is all I can get together. And I paused the movie and I said, okay, so think about you know, how she's obviously very frustrated and upset right now. Imagine one of the boys comes in with a field trip form and says, I need $10 for a field trip tomorrow. How do you think she might feel in that exact moment? And what decisions, what options does she have in front of her? What, what do you think she would do? And of course they were saying, well, she might just tell the boy, sorry, you can't go. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's go with that option. That child comes to school. And one of the girls interrupted me and she said, oh my gosh, I always hated it when the teacher would read out loud who had turned in their field trip form and who had. And then would look at the person who hadn't and ask them why. And I said, okay, well, you got that little boy in your classroom and you just outed him as someone who hasn't turned in a field trip form. What do you think that's going to do to him? And she said, oh, well, he might be embarrassed. So I said, yeah. Well, it also usually happens. Well, they usually ask, why hasn't it been turned in? I said, okay, what do you think he's going to do? How do you think he's going to explain that? That in a way that doesn't embarrass him by saying, we just don't have the money. And she said, huh, well, I never thought about that. We've always just, you know, figured it out. And I've always just gone on my field trips. Exactly. If that's the only experience you've ever had, it's very hard to imagine why it, it's just 10 bucks. Why is why can't you just get 10 bucks together? For some people, 10 bucks is all they have to eat off of for a week. Right. And it's not that important to go to the aquarium if you're going home hungry. Mm -hmm. Just not that important. Yeah. I said, or she might 
in order to avoid him being embarrassed, she might go ahead and just give him that money and try to figure something else out for rent. So now she's going to be worried about how am I now, how am I going to make rent when I'm even shorter now? Exactly. And so the whole class just kind of sat and chewed and digested. And they're like, man, that was just a field trip for him. It's a lot more than that to a lot of other people. These are all things that you're going to have to think about as a teacher. And how do you interact with your students? It's never just anything. For them, it's huge. To you, it might just be, okay, well, I guess I don't check little John's name off. But to them, it's, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed or I'm stressed out because I know my mom really shouldn't have given me this money. We don't have it, but she did. Right. It's a lot more than just anything. Yeah, yeah. Never adjust in the classroom. Yeah, and it speaks to sometimes, you know, we put on, uh, students can kind of put on that mask again and be just like, oh, I just keep forgetting when there's some real underlying reason well, and we're just like, oh, that he's going to just constantly forget he or she, you know, that's just who they are. When, if we had that conversation, you know, and said, hey, you know, if anybody, or even just putting that out there, if you need help or assistance and you're not able to pay for that, there's some issue, make sure you come talk to me, you know, not during class, but maybe some other time, you know, or send me a message but sometimes we just assume that oh that kid's just always forgetful or you know or masking some other reason yeah absolutely I'm glad you're having those conversations in the classroom making um, young learners kind of develop and open their mind to different possibilities other and different experiences other than their own. So I truly appreciate you engaging in this conversation with me because you really are a barrier breaker um, in life and in the classroom and a champion for all students. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting me have the conversation because I think more people need to know that this is the kind of stuff that we need to be doing. We absolutely have to start talking to other people. Absolutely. I am finally telling my story and want to empower others to do the same. Tune in each week to my podcast where we identify, implement, and inspire with an eye on equity as we make the world brighter, kinder, and a safer space for all to be the best versions of themselves. So buckle up for courageous conversations and insights to help close the gap and change the narrative on the road to equity.